Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but I had no idea where to go for answers. So with Running Explained, I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Running Explained podcast, a solo-themed Q&A episode, if you will. I'm very excited about this topic. Today we're going to be talking about the mental and emotional stuff that resides around the running that we do. Now, this is not mental race day stuff. That's an entirely different episode. That is a wonderful conversation to have. I'm excited to talk about race day stuff, but this is not that. This is not race day mental training, how to build up your mental resilience in the specific context of racing. This is more about questions and comments and concerns about the mental and emotional stuff that resides in the rest of our running lives. And there's some really wonderful things we're going to explore today, and I hope that you can identify with at least one of them and hopefully learn from all of them. The first question that I got, and it's not that I got this single question once, I've gotten this question a couple times, um, more than a couple times. How can I stop comparing myself to other runners? I don't know a single person alive who has not at some point compared themselves to somebody else with maybe less than favorable results, right? When we're comparing ourselves to other people, it's usually not in the context of, oh, gee, I'm so much better than that other person. We go through the comparison process because there's something about what the other person does or has that makes us feel less than. And that's a really not great place to be. Like why it makes us feel bad, right? So why do we do it? Why is it so hard to stop comparing yourself to other people, to other runners, if it makes us feel bad? Now, if you are in the habit of comparing yourself to other people so that you feel better about yourself, I mean, I I guess as long as you're not making them feel bad in the process, you know, do what you got to do to pump up your ego. But I feel like the comparison game If you're comparing yourself to other runners, this is not isolated to running. And this is why I love running so much, because it really does extrapolate everything that we do in running into the larger world in which we reside. I don't know of almost anything that happens in the context of our running that doesn't also apply to our larger life. And comparison is a really great example. I guarantee you that if you find yourself comparing yourself to other runners in, you know, and not feeling good about what you decide or come upon, you're probably used to comparing yourself to other people too, to other situations, whatever the context is in work or in your personal life or in whatever the thing is, you're comparing yourself to other people fairly consistently, and you may not realize it because it's such an internalized part of your thought process, and yet it becomes so obvious when you compare yourself to other runners because it's a very concrete thing. It's easy to compare yourself to another runner because it's all numbers, right? I have this number and they have that number. I run this time and they run that time. I run this distance and they run this distance. Like it's a really simple, easy comparison because it's just this number versus that number. You know, sometimes it's really hard to compare yourself to other people in ways that are more ephemeral in the stages of life, right? But when it comes to running, it feels like it's so easy to compare yourself to somebody else because it just comes down to numbers. But you are not numbers and that other person is not numbers too. Nowhere else is it more apparent then when it comes to comparing yourself to other people, that we are all on our own gloriously unique journeys. And I, it's so bizarre to say this, but it is 100% true. It is impossible for you to compare yourself to another runner. You just can't because you are so different. 
not just physiologically, height-wise, body composition, stage of life, what your experience is, what your, your own personal history of life is. Everything that we have done and experienced in our entire lives influences who we are today and who we will be going forward. You cannot separate your life from your running any more than anyone else can. It's all intertwined. And yes, our goal is to be the best runner that we can personally be, right? I don't want to be the best runner that somebody else can be. And it's hard to remember sometimes how unique and special your own specific journey is when so many people are throwing out their own numbers. And I don't believe that many people, okay, let me, I, (laughs) I believe the best in people for the most part. I don't believe that most people share their running numbers because they want other people to feel bad. They're sharing them because those numbers make them feel good. And yes, you get the occasional humble brag and yes, you get the occasional dickweed. That's just life, right? But for the most part, we share the numbers that we have because we are proud of those numbers. We're not sharing them to intentionally shame somebody else. If somebody is sharing their pace, it's not because they want you to feel bad about how your pace is different. They're proud of their pace. If you can remember that we should all be proud of our own paces, that will help a lot. When you think of your own personal journey, where you started and where you are now, the obstacles you have overcome, the progress you have made, the runs you have done when you didn't feel like it, how things feel different now than they used to, how your PRs have improved, how you just know more, how you're more comfortable on your feet. That's a really, really awesome thing. And whether you've been running for a month or a year or 10 years, that's your personal journey. How can you compare your running journey to anybody else's? And okay, maybe you're saying to me, okay, yeah, but that's fine, but this person and I started running at the same time and they've gotten a lot faster than I have. That's, that's okay. It may not feel okay. And you may, I'm not saying that it's okay to not go after the goals that you have. What I'm saying is that your goals are yours to achieve. When you compare yourself to somebody else, and as they say, comparison is the thief of joy. Let's say you just ran a wonderful PR and you are so excited about it right? Oh my gosh, I ran this distance faster than I ever have before. And you are so proud of yourself. And then you go and look at the overall leaderboard and you see what the winner ran, the overall race winner, what their time was. And you compare yourself to that person, all of a sudden you feel like crap. How can you go from being so proud of yourself to feeling like crap in a millisecond? That's comparison. That's what comparison does. So the question is, How can I stop comparing myself to other runners? I don't know that you can necessarily stop noticing what other runners are doing because that's impossible. What I think it's important to remember is that you cannot compare two things that are so different. And you might say, no, that's, that's absurd. They're identical. I'm comparing my distance and time to their distance and time. Yes, but that's not the whole story. You know, there's so much more to each of us than what we see on the surface. And you know, you know how complex and sometimes hard that your personal life story has been sometimes. Nobody gets through life without adversity. And some people face a significant amount of adversity and some people don't. And unfortunately, there are some other factors, just like genetic factors that make some people naturally better at certain things like aerobic endurance than others. It is impossible to ignore the genetic component to how athletic performance works in some of us. That's what we call quote unquote talent. Some people are going to just be better athletically, aerobically as runners than other people. It doesn't mean that you can't work hard to become the best runner you can be. It just means that for the vast majority of us, no matter how hard we work, we're never going to reach sub elite or elite status, right? but we can be the best runners we can be. How do we stop comparing ourselves to the race winners? How do we 
become happy in the skin that we inhabit, in the PRs that we run, how can we be satisfied with the journey we're on, not becoming complacent or not pushing ourselves, and yet not looking at somebody else's time and feeling that sense of, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. That person is so much faster than I am. What's wrong with me? Because those are really terrible feelings. And I think that's that kind of raises a bigger question of how do we feel comfortable in our own skin? How do we become enough for ourselves? Running is the perfect medium in which to practice the skill of being comfortable in your own skin and being happy with your own achievements while blocking out the rest of the world. Because as soon as you remind yourself that you cannot compare yourself to the race winner or another runner, you remind yourself over and over again, yes, you may have that thought, you see that that person's workout or race time and that the thoughts come into your head and then you take a breath and you say, you know what? I'm not going to compare myself to that person because they're in a different place than I am. And you, you do that enough. I talk about how we need to practice skills to get better at them. This is also a skill. If you see yourself looking at somebody else's Instagram post or race time or whatever it is, you take a breath and you say, I'm not going to compare myself to that person because they're in a different place than I am. You do that enough and it becomes second nature. You can admire somebody else's PRs. You can be envious and want to achieve what they've achieved without putting yourself down in the process. Be happy for where they are. And know that maybe you can get there one day too. It's not to, it's not to say that you're going to look at that person's stats and say, you know, oh, good, you know, I can never do that because I'm in a different place than they are. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you can be happy for what somebody else has achieved. You can also want to achieve those same goals. And you can do this without putting yourself down in the process. It is possible. It just takes practice. And it's not going to be perfect, but wouldn't you rather not feel like crap all the time? (laughs) When it comes down to it, so many of these things just, just end up being, I don't want to feel like crap in my own skin, whatever the thing is. I don't want to feel like crap in my own skin. I don't want to feel these feelings of shame and guilt, especially when I compare myself to other people. And I'm going to say it again. You really can't compare yourself to other people. It's really impossible because you are in such different places, different bodies, different journeys, different stages of life. So I don't know that you'll ever be able to stop comparing yourself to other people. But what you can do is you can change the way you frame that comparison in your mind. So you understand that you are in different places. You can appreciate what they have done and admire what they've achieved while also maybe wanting that same thing and knowing that with patience and dedication and consistency, you can work toward achieving that same goal or a similar goal or whatever the goal is whether it's the distance or the pace or whatever it is, nobody got there overnight. Nobody woke up one day and said, you know, I'm going to go for a run and all of a sudden ran like a world record. This is kind of one of the things I see sometimes people get upset in the comparison game when they, first of all, we all know running is hard work. Running takes patience and dedication and it can take years, years of hard work for somebody to reach their goal. And the thing is, is that because our goals are all so different, it can take the same hard work and effort for one person to reach their goal as it does for another person to reach their goal and have those goals be vastly different things in vastly different places. And I'm not going to put any numbers on them because all goals are wonderful and valid and you should achieve them. But what I'm saying is that to To denigrate your own effort, dedication, hard work, that you're only doing yourself a disservice. You would never look at your friend's PR and compare them to the race winner and say, 
God, that PR is a real piece of crap. Maybe you should run faster next time. Why would you say that to yourself? Why would you let your internal voice speak to you that way? You would never speak to your friend that way or a stranger. You would never look at somebody else's PR, a wonderful PR for them, and compare them to the race winner and say, God, you must not be working very hard or else you'd be running faster. Because that's the implicit conclusion, right? Is that if you're, if you're not the fastest, you're not working the hardest. And we know that's not true. I know you work very, very hard for your PRs. So to compare yourself to somebody else, it doesn't make any sense. You both worked hard. That's the thing with running is that we can all work equally hard and depending on where we are in our journeys, just end up with different results. That's how it works. That's, that's why running is so great because there's always something more to work for. Can you imagine if there was like one time, like a ceiling or a distance or a PR, whatever it was, where it's like, once you reached it, that was it. That was the end. It was like, oh, you've run this time now that it's over. Go home. Stop running. This is it. There is always more we can do to become better runners. That's why you can't compare yourself to anybody else. You just can't. Okay, so sorry for the rambling answer. The, the short form question is, I don't know that you can ever stop comparing yourself to runners, all the other runners, although I, I do believe you can over time stop intentionally comparing yourself to other runners. And when you do have those thoughts of comparison that make you feel bad, you have to remind yourself you can't compare yourself to anybody else because you're in different places. You are on different running journeys. You are different people. And yes, admire the work they've done. Sure, be envious. Want to go after the same things that they've done. But don't let somebody else's numbers make you feel bad about your own. There's no point. It's not helpful. It's not useful. Let them get you fired up. Let them inspire you and motivate you, but don't let them make you feel bad because that's not helpful to anyone. It makes you resentful towards them. It makes you resentful towards yourself. And those are some really toxic emotions that we feel. And something else I want to address because this is the world we live in. Social media is not always a great thing. I'm sure you've come to understand this by now. Social media can also be very toxic. If you find yourself following specific accounts that routinely bring up feelings of shame or guilt or anxiety or resentment, maybe you shouldn't follow those accounts anymore. Maybe that's not helpful for you in your journey and for your mental health. A lot of the things that we're asking ourselves to do require a really honest introspection about what's happening inside of us and whether or not the things in our lives are serving us positively or being negative influence on our lives. And so something I would really encourage you to do if you're struggling with comparing yourself to other runners is take a look at your honest, 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 honest social media usage what accounts are you following? How do you feel about the accounts you follow? You followed that one account for motivation and inspiration, but it just makes you feel like crap all the time. Maybe you shouldn't follow them anymore. So understanding when you are most likely to compare yourself to other runners. And I'm, considering we haven't raced in person for most the most part in over a year, it's probably not that you're comparing yourself to the race winner. It's probably that you're comparing yourself to somebody that you see on your phone. And that's that's just a weird thing to do. So it's not going to happen overnight. Becoming comfortable in our own skin can be a lifelong journey, but it can, you, you can achieve that peace. You can, I, I know that you can, I know that you can achieve a sense of peace within yourself so that when you look at somebody else's numbers, they don't send you into a tailspin because you know in your heart of hearts that it's impossible to compare yourself to somebody else because you you are such different people. It's impossible. It's like comparing a banana to a camera. Like, how are you supposed, which one's better? What do you, what do you mean? They're completely different. How am I supposed to compare them? Exactly. Exactly. How are you supposed to compare them? You can't. So stop trying because you're only going to make yourself feel worse. And again, this is, like I said, this is not an overnight thing. You're not going to wake up one day 
and feel wonderful about every interaction that you have with another runner. But it's something that you can work on and can feel better the more that you do it. The more that you tell yourself that you can't compare yourself to other people in the moment and then let it go, it does get easier. I promise it does. So then this next question kind of block that we're going to talk about is dealing with guilt around when runs don't go the way that you planned them to, or that you didn't run as much as you should have or whatever reason. So yes, like I, we are, we all have our own lives. Nobody only runs. Even elite athletes don't only run. They have actual lives that they live with spouses and children and sponsor deals. And it's not just they get up every day and run in like the Spartan monks. They have stuff going on in their lives too. And the rest of us, of course, have a lot of stuff going on in our lives. Not every run is going to go as planned. There are a couple different ways that things don't go the way that we wanted or expected or planned them to, right? So the first one is the run didn't go as planned because I couldn't make time for the run on that day. I had to skip a run or I didn't have time to do the whole run as in I had to cut my run short Um, or the run didn't go as planned because it felt bad for whatever reason. It was supposed to be an easy run, but I, I, you know, could only run this pace for this distance. It was supposed to be this workout and I felt like crap. So, you know, I couldn't finish the workout or I, I hung on for the whole workout, but my, my goal pace was nowhere near where it should be. And now I feel like crap. Okay. So I'm sure you've noticed a theme here. The, the things that you feel guilty about, the things that you say, it should have gone this way, it went a different way instead, and now I feel guilty or bad about it. So, like I said, life happens. You are never going to have something that is called a perfect training cycle because it doesn't exist. Nobody, nobody ever has a perfect training cycle where every run is perfect, you never miss a run, you never have to cut a run short, you always hit your paces in your workouts, like that doesn't exist. Like that's that's never happened to anyone because that's life. A huge part of where a lot of our discomfort comes is when the expectations that we have don't match up the reality that we experience. And this is actually something that's really important to talk about. We talk about race day stuff, but that's a different conversation. The mismatch between our expectation and reality is what causes or drives a lot of that internal discomfort. So sometimes, I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? For whatever reason, you didn't get your run in that day. And I would like to, first of all, preface this by saying that if you're sick or injured, like that's a totally different deal. If you are sick or injured, I don't want you to run. You need to rest up and get better. Let's just say your day was absolutely nuts. A million things happened. Stuff popped out of the woodwork. Whatever it was, you didn't get your run in that day. And now you feel really guilty about it. Well, that's just, that's just life. You have to just move on rather than obsessing over it or telling yourself that you are a worthless piece of crap or that you doubt that you could ever finish this training cycle anyways and throw your whole plan into chaos. Just kind of cut it loose and move on. The best way to deal with missing a run or a workout is to just like put it behind you and move on. Because once you've skipped a run, there is nothing you can do to go back and make it up. So to waste the mental and physical and emotional energy feeling guilty or worrying about it is genuinely a waste of time. There's nothing you can do. If there's nothing you can do, then you need to stop worrying about it. It's okay. We have all been there. And we've all still gotten out the other side of the training cycle and PR'd at the end of the day. One missed run, one run, you know, cut short of whatever it is, that happens. That is just part of it. It's not one run that makes or breaks your training cycle. It's just not. Now, if you find yourself that you are missing 
you know, at least a run every week, that's worth, first of all, I don't want you to feel bad about this. The feelings of guilt and shame do us absolutely no benefit, right? When was the last time that feeling guilty or shameful about something ever actually helped you achieve what you were trying to achieve? So if you find yourself routinely missing runs, not having time for the runs in your schedule, not having time to complete the runs as written, that is worth a conversation with yourself and your coach if you're working with one about what you realistically have time for. This is why I say that we all, you know, we train in different seasons. We don't always have time for everything. First of all, you can't just always, you cannot physiologically train at your peak performance all the time because you need to give yourself some downtime, but life happens. We don't always have time for all the training that we want. You may not have time in what's going on in your life to do the kind of training that you want to do right now. And you have to be realistic with yourself about that. You can't just force it. If you have a training plan that you're trying to follow and you're missing like a third of the runs, you're not even following a training plan. You're just like running part of a training plan. You need to be honest with what you are realistically capable of committing to in your current training cycle. If you are routinely missing runs because of your scheduling and life happens, you may need to adjust your goals, find a different training plan, or understand that the training that you want to do is just not going to happen right now. We can't always do all the things we want to do all the time because we just don't have time for it. And that's okay. That is also okay. That is also just how life goes. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a life that's complicated and messy. We all have lives that are complicated and messy. It's okay. But let's say it's not a scheduling thing. Let's say you have plenty of time. Let's say you have more than enough time to get all of your runs completed, but your runs aren't going the way that you planned them to or you expect them to. And this can look like a couple different things. You're having trouble completing the distance of your of your runs, your workouts, right? So you are, you know, let's say you have eight miles and you can only get to six. And let's say that your long run is 14 miles and you can only get to 10. And that might be from a couple different things. One, you might not be running easy enough. You might be running your, especially, specifically your easy runs, you might be running them too hard. When you find yourself burning out on your runs on a regular basis, you're probably running too fast all the time. And so this is why I stress that the majority of your running should be in that easy conversational zone two effort. For most people, that's a heart rate of 145 and below, not 145 on the nose, 145 and below as an average for your heart rate on that easy run. For a lot of runners, that's a lot slower than they're used to running, but that's just how the majority of your runs should be. That's where your aerobic development happens. That's where you can go the distance without burning out. Okay, let's say you are in your true actual easy zone. You're like, no, 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 coach, I promise. My heart rate's like 141 and I'm still having trouble struggling. I'm finishing, I'm struggling to finish my runs. I'm still having trouble getting the distance in. You may have chosen a plan that is too advanced for your current level of fitness. If you've made a big jump in mileage, let's say you were running 30 miles per week and then you started a training plan that has you at 45 miles a week, like that's way too big of a jump. In general, when you choose a training plan for whatever you're trying to achieve, it should be a plan that starts at roughly the same weekly mileage as you're currently running. So let's say that you're currently running 30 miles a week and you're about to start marathon training. That means you should choose a plan that starts around, you know, 35 miles a week, not 40, right? Not, that's a big jump in mileage. Starts around 35 miles a week and then, and again, progressively builds up from there. So maybe it starts at 35 and it peaks at 45 miles through the length of the plan. It doesn't start at 50 and peak at 70 if you've only been running 30 miles a week, right? That's, you, you may have chosen a plan or are trying to do things that are too large increases in your volume, in your distance. And that's why you're having trouble finishing those runs. The other scenario is that it's not your easy runs, it's your workouts. You are having trouble hitting the paces in your workouts specifically. And this can be for, a co- again, a couple different reasons. 
One, you are misunderstanding what the workout is asking you to do. A lot of people get confused about when they are have a workout in front of them, whether it's whatever the workout is, speed work, tempo, cruise intervals, long run workout. There are many different kinds, you know, ways to do a running workout. They're misunderstanding what the workout's asking them to do or the pace it's asking them to run. And this can be because you, there's a difference, and this is kind of where I talk about, you know, setting goals to your current fitness level. There's a difference between your current race paces and your goal race paces for the most part. And you're like, what? Like, aren't those the same? Well, not necessarily. You may have a current level of fitness that when you, your current level of fitness equates to a nine minute per mile marathon pace. That is what you are currently capable of doing. If you had the, the ability to run the marathon distance today, your current fitness level would allow you to run a nine minute per mile marathon pace for that race. But let's say that your goal marathon pace is 8.30 per mile. And you, your goal is to be able during your training plan to build up your fitness such that you are able to run your goal marathon pace on race day at the end of the plan, at the end of the training cycle. So you have two different marathon paces. You have your current fitness marathon pace and you have your goal marathon pace. And this happens, I mean, this is, this applies to all other paces too, right? Current and goal 10K, current and goal 5K, current and goal half marathon pace. Your current lactate, well, at, when we talk about lactate threshold, you always run, run at your current lactate threshold pace, your current VO2 max pace. But in terms of race paces, you have your current level of fitness and you have your goal level of fitness. Before history is written, Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, oh! it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And you have to make sure what your plan is asking you to do. Is it your current pace or your goal pace? Because those are two different things for the most part. If you are supposed to be running at your current level of fitness for the workout and you try to run at your goal level of fitness instead, the workout will be too hard for you and you may have trouble completing it. And that can end up in feelings of like, oh my God, I can't finish this workout. I'm not on track. The feelings of anxiety, doubt, and guilt, and you know, what am I doing? I, you know, this is too hard. I can't do this. Those feelings come in. And it may just be a simple, simple misunderstanding of you just ran the wrong pace. That happens sometimes. Like we've all been there. We've all finished a workout and gone like, oh, I, I, I ran that way too fast. Like that was not supposed to happen. The other thing is maybe you're misunderstanding how you're the workout supposed to go because you think you're supposed to redline every workout. When your plan asks you to do a pace specific workout, you should run at that pace. So let's say you do know whether it's goal or current fitness, right? It's not an invitation to go out and run as hard as you can. Your plan, your workout, your coach, it's designed in a very specific way to elicit very specific physiological adaptations to help you become a stronger runner in pursuit of the goal that you have. And when you run at a different effort or pace level within that workout, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing the wrong thing. If your workout asks you to run five miles at your goal marathon pace, and you go out and run six miles at your goal half marathon pace, you're not executing that workout properly. You've done the wrong thing. If you were my athlete, I would have a conversation with you about the importance of sticking with the workout as written. And if you had any questions, you always need to make sure to ask me. I'm happy to provide specific guidance to my athletes about what they should be doing in their workouts. But if you go out and run all your workouts faster than you're supposed to be doing, you are 
not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're not helping yourself advance your fitness in pursuit of your race specific goal. Also, when you run workouts too fast all the time, you usually have trouble completing them because they are harder than you are able to do. If you're supposed to be running 400s at your 5K pace and you go out at your mile pace instead, yeah, you're probably going to have trouble completing the entirety of that workout because it's too hard for the pace that you've decided to run instead. So that's something else. So that is all the biggest thing in all of this. When your runs don't go as planned, make sure that you know what you're actually supposed to be doing because that can get you into trouble. Okay. Let's say that you do know what you're doing. You're like, no, I understand the difference between goal and current fitness. I know what my VO2 max paces. I know what my lactate threshold paces. Like I know all these things, but I went out and I had a really terrible run. I couldn't hit my paces or it felt way harder than it should. And now I feel like crap emotionally because I just had a really bad run. That happens. That happens. We've all had workouts that we have bombed that were like, wow, that was nowhere near what I was supposed to be doing. What is going on? Why did that feel so hard? What is happening now? Sometimes we just have bad workouts. Not every day is going to be a perfect day, especially when you're following a training plan that is asking you to do more mileage and more intensity than you ever have before. You are experiencing cumulative fatigue. Yeah, you're tired. You're working hard. Not every day is going to be your day. That just happens sometimes. The thing to remember is that one bad workout is normal. It doesn't feel great, right? but it happens. But you have to ask yourself, what can I learn from this? And is this happening more than just these isolated incidents? So you could have had just a random bad day for a multitude of reasons. Like I said, bad days just happen. Maybe you are coming down with a cold and you don't know it yet. Maybe you didn't get any sleep last night. Maybe those miles are just really catching up with you on your legs and it just wasn't your day. Maybe you have a crazy amount of stress going on in the rest of your life. That's kind of tanking your ability to handle the hard efforts because mental fatigue influences physical fatigue. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. That just happens. Okay. So if it happens, you had a bad workout, it sucks. Take a minute, take, you know, an extra easy recovery day the next day, whenever your, you know, next run is recoup, you'll be fine. We've all had bad days. What can you learn from it? What can you do to going forward to prevent it? If you know you have workouts every Tuesday, you know, maybe Monday night's not the day to, you know, night to stay up watching a show that airs at 11 PM. (laughs) Maybe you DVR that and watch it later. Okay. But the other thing to notice is, is this happening regularly? Am I experiencing bad days frequently or regularly. One of the biggest signs of overreaching and overtraining, and I I posted about this recently, that, you know, you can go, so overtraining is kind of the end point. Overtraining is a really complex, nasty syndrome that involves a lot of like endocrinological, um, endocrinological, whatever, hormonal, (laughs) hormonal, physical, um, biopsychosocial, like it's a really terrible syndrome, overtraining syndrome, kind of, you know, colloquial known as burnout, but it's more than that. It's physical, it's physiological, and it's nasty. That's the end result of something that we call overreaching. So you have normal training fatigue, then you have something called functional overreaching, which is when you intentionally stress your body for a couple weeks uh, at, of intense training, whether like an altitude camp or peak week at your marathon training. And then you have a period of rest afterwards or reduced training load for the super compensatory response. Your body basically like you ask a lot of your body and then give it a lot of rest and then boom, it provides a super compensatory response and you're stronger than ever after you've recovered. That's functional overreaching. Non-functional overreaching is when you overreach to, you know, continue overreaching to the point where you cannot just recover in a couple weeks of rest. 
And then when you if you continue overreaching, then you end up in overtraining, Tori. And one of the hallmarks of when non-functional overreaching and overtraining have occurred is that one of the very first signs, the very first kind of obvious signs to us is that you are unable to hit your paces in your workouts or your races. And it may just say like, oh, I had a bad day. And that happens. It's not to say that if you have one bad workout, you're overtrained. No. We're talking about patterns. Patterns and patterns of poor runs, poor workouts, bad race days that happen over a period of weeks or months, right? So like one bad workout happens. Two bad workouts, that happens. Three bad workouts? Ew. Three weeks in a row? That doesn't sound so good. So overtraining, overreaching, one of the first signs and symptoms is the inability to hit the paces you're supposed to be hitting in your races or your workouts. And this means that maybe you can run the pace that you're supposed to in your workout, but it feels really hard. Like let's say it's you're supposed to be running marathon goal pace and it feels like lactate threshold pace and your heart rate reflects it. So like you would normally expect your marathon, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but in general, you know, your marathon pace would probably have your heart rate in the 160s, right? Maybe a low 170s, you know, depending on where you are in your fitness. But let's say on, on this run, your marathon pace has your heart rate in the 180s. That's not normal, right? One run, that happens. If it keeps happening, that's a pattern and you can't ignore it. Every time we do something, it gives us information, Every time we do a workout or an easy run or whatever it is, it's, we get more information than just the numbers, more information than just, oh, I ran X distance at Y pace. We can use the information from our run, how it felt relative to everything else. How did we feel about it? What did the, we learn from the weather conditions that we ran in? What about how that hill went? There is always so much more to learn from each run than just the surface level. I ran this distance at that pace and it was good. There's way more to learn from each run. So learning to pay attention to the patterns, to the signs and the symptoms of when things are going great versus when things are going poorly. If you catch that overreaching early enough, it just takes a little bit of rest and you're back to normal. It's when you ignore it and try to push through it, right? And runners are famously guilty for this. Oh, that workout didn't go as well as it should have. I'm going to try. I'm going to, okay, first of all, I'm going to try again tomorrow. No, please don't. Please don't do that. Just like if you missed a run, if you had a bad workout, just move on. It happened. You can't undo it. Move on. Just keep going. Do not ever revisit any part of your training plan without your coach's explicit supervision. Just move on. Oh, I'm going to make up for that bad workout by running extra hard at my next workout. No, don't do that either. Run the workout you're supposed to run at this pace you're supposed to run it in, not a harder pace than that. Don't add reps. Don't add miles. Don't try to make up for that bad workout. Just do your next workout as written. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to add some more miles to my long run. No, don't add miles to your long run. So you make a, no, just like do your plan as written. It's okay. Paying attention to the signs and the symptoms is really important. And this is why I encourage people to keep a training log outside of just like their Strava or Garmin or RunKeeper, however, they actually just log their running stats. If, whether it's a written journal or a spreadsheet where you log your runs, just putting a couple words or a couple phrases down about how your run went can be really, really, really helpful when you're trying to look back at the patterns as they have developed over the course of your training. So if you have been dealing with, uh, I don't know, even like an injury issue or whatever it is, just being able to look back at your notes from your previous runs, you know, over the course of the weeks or the months that you've been doing your training cycle, or even just, you know, the course of how you're running. Like I have training logs that date back to 2017 when I started running. It is one of the most valuable tools to be able to look back at the actual patterns and how you felt on the day to be able to figure out, hey, is this an isolated incident or is this a pattern that I should be paying attention to? So 
how to deal with the guilt, you have to understand that you're human. Nobody's run is perfect all the time. It's more about understanding that your physical performance is not a reflection of who you are as a person. I know that for many runners, myself included, being runners is a huge part of our identity, right? Like I am a runner. That is who I am and what I do. But it's, it does not define my worth. My ability to run certain paces does not define how good of a person or how worthy of a person I am. Just because you couldn't hit your paces in that workout doesn't mean that you're less than. You're the same person you ever were. What you have to understand is you are asking a whole lot of your body. You are asking things of your body it's probably never done before. And you're going to get down on yourself because you wasn't perfect? No. I really would encourage you to take an honest look, an objective look of the work that you're doing, the hard work that you've been putting in. And understanding, again, like it's so easy to get hung up on the numbers and like the little things here and there and to nitpick. And that's, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of running because it's never about one run or one day. It's about the pattern of who you are becoming as a person and as a runner. So as long as you are patient and consistent and honest with yourself, right? And we're like I said, we're all going to have p- periods of our life, phases of our life in which we are not able to do as much as we want or were able to do before. And that's totally fine. How much you run is not a reflection of your worth. How fast you can run is not a reflection of your worth. It's important to keep in mind that life happens to all of us. If you miss a run, it's fine. If you bomb a workout, that's fine. I'm more concerned with if you're consistently missing workouts or consistently bombing runs because I don't want you to feel guilty about that at all. Like I said, life happens, but that should tell you something bigger, tell you something about what's going on in your life. And that can make you a better runner if you have that knowledge and can then apply it, right? So whether you don't have time to do the training that you want to do right now and you modify, whether you are in that overreaching or overtraining territory and it's time to back off, you know, being able to look at the way that we're executing the training that we're doing in a fairly dispassionate way, you know, that can be really a really, really, really helpful tool for all of us as runners. And of course we always have, we do have many emotions attached to running and that's fine. That's good. That means we care. That means we care and want to be the best we can possibly be, but there's no point in beating yourself up about something that already happened. What you have to do is learn from what happened and then move forward, trying to apply that knowledge to the next time that you do something and see if you can't make it different. The final thing we're going to talk about today is not, it could also apply to when we talk about dealing with races, but it's really about mental fatigue as the miles grow. So specifically a couple questions about preventing that mental burnout as you get into those really high double digit runs. uh, And then why does my mind want to stop when my body feels okay? That mental battle, that mental torment between your brain telling you that you're done now and you when you objectively look inside and how your body feels, like your body feels okay. There is a fascinating book, and I highly recommend it, called Endure by Alex Hutchinson, who is a writer for um, Outside Online magazine. And he is, he's one of my favorite science-y <laughs> sport writers. And uh, so, yes, I highly recommend this book, Endure, if you're curious at all about how your mind and your body work in tandem and why it's really your mind that limits your performance and not your physical body. It's very, very cool. So your mind controls everything. I know it sounds kind of like, yeah, duh, your mind controls it. No, your mind controls how you feel how things feel, that burnout, that um, fatigue, that 
your mind wanting to stop when your body feels okay. It's your mind. It's your mind. On the flip side, and this is more of a race specific thing. Um, sometimes your mind tells you that your body is done, but it's not. And that's actually kind of cool. And, and that again, it's a totally different conversation, but how do you deal with the mental fatigue on longer runs when you're physically feeling fine? Mental fatigue is a real thing. Mental fatigue is real. We all have finite energy. <laughs> We're not endless, you know, and machines. Um, a lot of people don't give your mental capacity and your ability to become mentally fatigued as much credit as they should. And they've definitely done some studies that show that if you, um, there's actually one very, very cool one that uh, Alex talks about in Endure where they took some, I think it was, they were doing it was a cycling activity, but they, they took two groups of people and they had one group of people do a really mentally taxing, like concentration workout exercise before, where it was like a, a fairly long, they had to match things and like focus on something for a long period of time and become mentally fatigued in the process from having to focus on this activity. And the other group did not. And then both groups had to cycle. I think it was, you know, time to fatigue. Um, and of course, as you would expect in this story, the, or the, it's not a story, it's a study, it's science. The group that had to perform the mentally taxing exercise before they actually performed athletically did worse than the other group. They burned out earlier. They gave up earlier. Their time to fatigue was shorter than the group that did not have the mentally taxing activity before their exercise. So this might help explain why when you, uh, you know, have to push your run until after work, <laughs> you feel like you have less mental energy to expend. Maybe you cut your run short more often than you should because your mental energy is just not there. Mental fatigue is just as real and just as important to consider as your physical fatigue when it comes to endurance athletics. So how do you deal with this? Just like many other skills, your mental, and I don't want to call it mental strength, but your, your mental resilience, the capacity for you to endure mental fatiguing activities without becoming overly fatigued is a skill. And when we talk about how important it is when you're marathon training specifically, but also really training for any quote unquote endurance race and an endurance race is I think anything longer than a mile physiologically. One of the things when you're doing, when you're following a training plan, you're not just training your body, you're training your mind as well. And that's why those long runs are so important physiologically to do all in one piece and also mentally, because yeah, it is mentally exhausting to run for that long, right? We don't wake up one day and all of a sudden have the attention span of some sort of fixated baby where you can just stare at the wall for hours and hours. Can you tell I don't have kids? I don't know. What do babies stare? It seems like they stare a lot at me. <laughs> but that's part of it. Part of the training process is also learning to train your mind. Just to like be able to withstand running. Your brain gets bored. Your brain constantly requires things to do, right? So it's really important to understand when you're feeling that mental fatigue, is it boredom? Is it actual fatigue? Have I been concentrating on my run and now I'm like tired of concentrating on it? Am I just kind of over it? In another episode, um, and I'll, I'll link to it as well, I talked about how to combat boredom on your runs. And there are a couple different ways to deal with the mental fatigue on your runs beyond, so that will help you train yourself to be more resilient and resistant to this mental fatigue. And it, all that involves you have to do it, right? It's not going to be a picnic. It's going to be kind of crappy sometimes, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. I think you'll find in many cases, it's not your body that gives out on those longer runs. Like your mind will be like, I'm done here. Can we please go home? And you're feeling okay, but you have this overwhelming urge to stop and you don't know why you feel fine, but yet you want to stop. That is your brain telling you 
oh, hey, we're done. I want to go home now. So how do you get your brain to shut up? My favorite is just the one more thing, right? So let's say you have 15 miles on your schedule and you're at mile nine and you're like done (laughs) mentally. (laughs) Just one more mile, just one more. And you get to 10. And then, hey, guess what? You're two thirds of the way done. Are you going to stop now? You're like more than halfway there. Usually, if you can get yourself to the, oh, just one more, just one more, just one more, you may not get to the end of every run the way you're supposed to. Like you maybe you, maybe you're having a really crappy mental day and you don't make it to 15, but you made it to 13. Cool. That's better than nine where you wanted to stop. Again, it's not just about the physical training. It's about the mental training too when we run these distances. The other thing to consider is that if you listen, if you feed the fire of your brain, you're giving it more fuel, right? So if you, as soon as you start experiencing the, I don't want to be here and you start focusing on the fact that you don't want to be doing this anymore, that's the only thing you're going to be able to think about. Trust me, I know. How many of you have started a run in the first quarter mile, like you haven't even left your street yet and already your brain's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm good. Let's go home. I don't want to do this. If you listened to that voice every single time you went for a run, we'd never get anywhere, right? (laughs) I cannot tell you how many runs of significant distance I've had that started out the very first, very, very, very first few steps I had. My brain told me that I don't want to do this. It's too hard. I can't. That's your brain telling you. And it's important to consider for the purposes of our conversation that your brain and your mind, if you want to think about them as different things. One of the most helpful things I think for runners to practice is a mindfulness practice. And this is because mindfulness, which is the um, practice of noticing without judgment, can be a really useful tool when we run. And it, again, it is a practice, it is a skill, but the ability to, when we have those thoughts or feelings about wanting to stop, to be able to notice them and kind of let them drift away without assigning a judgment or attaching an emotion to them is really, really, really important. Because as soon as we tell ourselves or have the thought that we want to stop, we assign an emotion to it, right? All of a sudden, we feel a certain way about it. We feel anxious or nervous or doubtful or angry or, I mean, we rarely assign positive emotions to these kinds of thoughts, right? We're talking about emotions that are, are quote unquote, negative. They don't serve us well. So as soon as you have that thought to just have that thought exist and say, okay, that's a thought that I had and then let it drift out of your mind. It also helps on these longer runs to distract yourself. I talked about on the other episode about how one of the best skills you can cultivate, especially when it comes to long distance running, is the ability to zone out, (laughs) to let your just kind of like exist in your own world and not pay attention to anything except just like, I'm just, I'm just kind of floating in the, in the sphere of my brain and we're just running and all of a sudden eight miles have passed and like, where did that go? So being able to zone out is a really good skill to cultivate especially for the first part of the marathon, you're not going to want to expend that mental energy until you absolutely have to. So learning to conserve your mental energy so that you can push through those rough patches as they arise. If you are expending, if you are spending your mental energy from the very first step to keep yourself on track, that's exhausting. No wonder you're burning out, of course. So conserving your mental energy Distract yourself with music, podcast, like this one, murder mystery audiobook. I don't know, however you do. Maybe you call a friend. Maybe you run with a friend. Something to distract yourself, right? So your mind isn't just floating around looking for things to focus on and focusing on the fact that you're running and then getting obsessed over it and then spending mental energy on it. And then all of a sudden it's out of energy and it wants to go home. So zoning out, um, distracting yourself. And then the other one, like I said, is that just one more, just one more, pushing through it, learning to do it even though you don't want to. And this can be tough sometimes because let's say you uh, feel this halfway through your run 
and you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can turn around and do all of that over again. Well, okay, first of all, if you are the kind of person who finds yourself regularly bailing on your runs because of mental fatigue, not physical fatigue, mental fatigue, this is where running an out and back loop or an out and back instead of a loop can be very helpful. Because if you if you can make it halfway out, you have to make it all the way home, right? So instead of running circles or loops or another route, if you can just pick a route and say, I have to run 10 miles and you run five miles out and then you have to turn around and you have to run the other five miles home. So um, doing you know little tick, trip, tips and tricks like that can be very, very helpful. And then yes, just muscling through it. Just one more, just one more mile, just one more song, just one more chapter, whatever it is, just one more. There's also something, and this is also something that's going to come up in the, in the race, the mental stuff when it comes to racing, there is something called rough patches. And I think for many runners, rough patches feel, when you hit a rough patch, and usually we talk about them in the context of racing, specifically long distance racing, like, um, half marathons or marathons or ultra distance events, a rough patch is when it just exactly what it sounds like. When you hit a rough patch, you can hit a rough patch that is a couple minutes long, or you can hit a rough patch that's significantly longer than that. And it's when things feel hard, when your mind is like itchy on the inside, right? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I can't do this. It feels too hard. Your thoughts go into a dark place. I'm not capable. This is too much. It is a patch, not a permanent state. If you hang on, you will come out of that rough patch nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100. If you hang on and work through the rough patch, that one is excellent mental preparation for race day, learning how to, to survive a rough patch. And two, when you get to the other side, it's gone, you're over it. It's amazing. It's so weird to think about. Yes, you can have these rough patches that can last for miles and yet you can get to the other side and things feel fine again. It's the, it's the craziest thing. Our minds are just unbelievable sometimes. So trying to figure out, is this like a, I'm completely mentally fatigued as, as in I have no more mental energy, it's gone, or is this a rough patch? That's why it's important to hang on and see if you can't get out the other side of that rough patch. And you won't come out of the, you know, the other side of every rough patch, but doing is the best training. You don't train for a marathon by doing something else other than running, right? We talk about, no, you cannot train for the marathon by riding your bike. Yes, it can help supplement your training, but if you're training for a running specific event, you need to run. And part of training for a endurance event, unendurance event is learning how to endure, how to endure what you're doing. And yes, it can be mentally painful sometimes, but that is part of your training. Not every mile is going to feel great. And yeah, you're going to have runs, which yes, maybe you hit your paces, but mentally you were in a not great place. You had doubts and fears. You ran the gamut of all the emotions you knew you could possibly experience in one run. And that's going to happen. That's kind of the cool thing about running. But yes, this kind of mental fatigue, it's important that you learn how to train not just your body, not just your physical fatigue, not just push out the threshold of what you're physically capable of, but push out the threshold of what you are mentally capable of as well. And I don't want to say that if you find the mental training to be challenging, that there's something wrong with you. This stuff is really hard. If you hear any elite runner talk about their racing experience or how they're training, you know, we talk about in interviews, they will always at some point talk about the mental battle, the mental capacity, how they thought and felt about what they were doing. Running is so much more than just the physical act of running. It is a mental process as well. And it takes a skill You will never be perfect at it, but all we can do with all of this, all the things we're trying to do here is just get better and stronger, both mentally and physically. That's the point. That's why we do this.
there you have it. Thank you for listening to my ephemeral, uh, mental, emotional running <laughs> solo podcast episode. I'm very happy um, that I'm, I'm getting questions like this because it can feel like running is so simple. And then we do it and we realize it's so much more complex than we ever imagined from a, not just a logistical you know, perspective, but from a mental and emotional perspective. Running is a whole mind, whole body sport. And it will teach you some of those amazing things about yourself and about life, but it can also be a very confusing and frustrating and painful thing to go through. The important thing to remember is that the journey that you are on with your running is the journey that you are supposed to be on, not the journey that somebody else is supposed to be on. And you're not supposed to be on somebody else's journey. You are learning more about yourself through the running that you're doing. And I'm very, very proud of all the work that you're doing because it is paying off. I know it is. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at runningexplained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. Until next time, happy running! This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.